We're going to sing this morning, but you know what? Last week, I got to share with you some thoughts I was having as we were doing church last week. And I'm standing over there, and I'm watching us sing, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And don't take this the wrong way, because I, I know why I was here in general. But I was asking myself, what are we doing? Why are we singing? Why are we, why are we doing this church every Sunday? And so this morning, I was in bed, uh, I was up early praying about the service, and, and I calculated in my head, you know, pastor's kid, I probably was in church the first Sunday after I was born. I've been in church on Sunday morning over 1,800 times, okay, 1,800 times. That means I've heard about 1,800 messages, and I figured I've sung over 7,000 songs on Sunday morning. And so as I was thinking about this, I'm like, okay, but why am I here, though? You know, I've done all these things. And you know what? Some of you guys in the back, <laughs> you guys could have doubled me on how many times you guys have been in church and heard a message and sang. So what makes it significant this Sunday? What makes it significant next Sunday? It's not necessarily, no offense, Nick, the message. It's not the band. It's not the worship leader. It's not the set list. It's not the songs we sing. All of those are just complementary to the significance, which is our relationship with God. That's what makes it significant this morning and next Sunday and maybe the next 1,800 Sundays. And so when I'm standing there thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I singing this song? It's because I have this relationship with God, the God who's given me salvation. And so I come here on Sunday morning, we come here on Sunday morning to worship our creator and our savior. And that's what makes it truly significant every time. Our ability to be able to connect with this God who wants to connect with us. So it doesn't matter necessarily how many Sundays we've been here, what we're singing. It, it matters more who we're singing to and what we're talking about and this God we want to engage and so I challenge you this morning what I'm challenged with, and that's forget about all this other stuff that we know as routine and focus on connecting with our Savior and our Creator as we go through Genesis this morning. And so we're going to sing these songs. The words are more significant to me when I'm singing to Him and I'm not worried about anything else that's going on around me. Glory, glory. Father, your glory is so beautiful, and I pray this morning, God, that when we see your beauty, we would see your glory, and God, really, our salvation is the epitome of your glory. So God, I pray that from our head to our heart this morning, we would connect that everything that we are, everything that you have done for us is for your glory, and your glory is so beautiful. And so with our lives, we want to say hallelujah. With our lives, we want to give you glory, God, and we want to connect those things, that we're not just in church to sing songs. We're not just sitting in church to make a check mark. We're not just here because we call ourselves Christians. We are here because of the blood of Jesus that saved us forever to eternal life from eternal death glory glory hallelujah and all God's people said amen you can have a seat 1st Corinthians 8 1 says this this knowledge puffs up but love builds up It's, this is not surprising to me because it's the same spirit in us. 
Um, but I had similar thoughts as Tim did last week uh, after church, just thinking, why, why, why do I do this? Like, why are we doing what we're doing? And, and sometimes during the week I sit down to read my Bible and I read it, but then I get lost in this thing called life, right? My head, I just zone out into life. But then I get to t- make my check mark because I read the Bible for that day and I feel good uh, because I did that. And when you do that, you're supposed to see fruit in your life from it, right? James 1, to 25 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law that sets you free and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This is like knowing stuff about God, right? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Love that. This shirt this morning, I actually ironed it. But if you got a little closer, it doesn't look like that at all, right? And there's, there's some wrinkle release for some reason. There's some wrinkle release in my office, right? And I tried that. It don't work, okay? Wrinkle release does not work. It's just why well, you might as well spray water on yourself and get your shirt wet because that stuff doesn't work. That's like false advertising, right? It's exactly what it's like when I read the Bible and my head goes like this. And that's it. That's all it is, Right? Because I read my Bible, I get to call myself a Christian because I say what I believe, I read my, but my head just gets bigger. That's false advertising, right? That's all it is. I uh, went to Dr. Jesse, Jesse Westrom, you can call him Dr. Jesse if you want. He's like, no, please don't call me that. Anyway, I went to him this week to get my eyes checked, and Judah did too, my son Judah. And Judah is so excited, so excited that he has glasses now. And Jesse hasn't even seen these glasses yet, because he did our test, and then we went in and picked them up. But he loves these glasses, all right? And I got glasses too. I only need them for reading and seeing. I can see you guys fine. But Judah, he thinks, Dad, you have glasses, why in the world are you not wearing them? So every second of the day, I mean, as soon as he gets home from school or as soon as I get home from work, boom, he goes and finds my glasses, he takes them out of the thing, he brings them over to me and puts them on, right? Because in his mind, why the heck do you have glasses, Dad, if you ain't going to wear them, right? But part of it is I forget I have them because I've gone most of my life without wearing them. But they do help, right? They help only if I wear them. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, knowledge does this. It inflates our head. What's the only way to deflate that? Is to move it from here to here and let it come out here, right? If it doesn't, that's all you got is a big head. And sometimes... I'm not going to say who, but sometimes I can sit here and I see some pretty big heads in the room. Not naturally, right? Y'all look good most of the time. But even for myself, when I look in the mirror, I got to ask myself, is my head huge? Or is it going from here to here and is it living out here? Some things that I've been really, really encouraged by in our church, and this is... Things like this are happening across the board. I want to name three that I'm very encouraged by. We have three small groups specifically who recently did some studies and they were just not content to leave it out of study. They were not content to say, okay, that was a good study and we're going to go on and do another study because then all you do is study after study after study and then what happens? You inflate. 
Tim and Kara's small group recently read through the book Crazy Love and they said that we got to do something with this. So they prayed about it. And last Monday, remember we said last uh, a couple weeks ago that it was the three year anniversary of Patty Feller's husband's death. And that's been tough for her. That's been hard. But last Monday, this small group went over there and they just spent time with her. They brought her dinner, right? And they did a ton of stuff around her house. And Jake went away with a, a list of things that they can keep on doing, right? And that was tough for her. It was hard for her. But she also felt the weight and the love of the body of Christ lived out. Not content to keep a study a study. Not content to keep the words of God in my head, right? Doug and Lori Elric's small group. They just recently did a study on prayer. And this morning, right, this morning, they were not content to leave that as a study of prayer. But they started a prayer ministry on Sunday morning. So before the service, even right now, I think, back in our prayer room back there. It's not like you can't pray anywhere. You can. But back in our prayer room back here, they're praying for you. And they're praying for the community. And after this service, there's going to be people available to pray with you, right? In order to pray with somebody about something going on in your life, it takes a lot of humility, doesn't it? Because you might have to go to someone you don't know and tell them junk in your life. Tell them something you're struggling with. But here's where the power of God helps that to happen. is because we have Jesus in common. And if you're here this morning, you don't have Jesus in common. That's the biggest decision you'll ever make. And we got people that want to pray for you. We got people that want to lift you up to the God of the universe. That He's the only one that can do anything about it. Ken and Nancy Taylor's small group, they decided that, uh, and we've got this, we've got a two, it, bigger, I mean, you, if you have not seen if you have not come and gotten to know some of our Burmese congregation in the afternoons, at 2 o'clock every Sunday, there's a Burmese group that meets here. There's like 200, 250 of them, and it is lively, and it is awesome. All right, you should come and check that out. Even this afternoon, if you've got time, come and check it out, right? But their small group said, you know what? We're using the same building. We've got to connect with these people. So every, every family in their small group, Okay, decided we're going to adopt a family from the Burmese congregation. And you know what? All of these things, for all three of those small groups, is out of their comfort zone. I guarantee you it. I guarantee it. For some individuals, it's their sweet spot. For, for most of them, it, it's out of their comfort zone. But they've been led by conviction, and they were not able. I mean, they just were not able without feeling the weight of it, they weren't able to just leave it as a study, right? Even tonight, Creekside U. Last week, Creekside U, we had 44 people, right? 44 people show up to that, right? And tonight we're going to have more. I encourage you to come because it was awesome. That is Mark's sweet spot. And he did an awesome job. He prepared. He did a great job. But I guarantee you, right, it's, uh, it's tonight. I guarantee you it's tonight. It's night, if the Lord wills it, at, from 6 to 8, so I think you should be here. But I also guarantee you that Mark, he said this at the beginning of his class last week. He said that the, the study of eschatology is perfect to change the way we live everyday life. So even in a class where you're meant to go and get loaded up with information, our teacher knows that it's not enough to just load these people with information. If they're not going to live it out, then what's the point? If they're not going to get it from here to here and out here, then what's the point, right? That's how I want every single one of us to approach every message we hear at this church from now on. That I cannot leave this room without putting something into action or it was pointless, right? Do we get that? Do you get that? Now it's our job to make that easy for you. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 1. We're going to get there eventually. Genesis 1.26. The title this morning is going to be By God, For God. 
by God, for God. Recently, recently, like two years ago, I was watching Oprah. Yep, I was watching Oprah, all right? And they happened to be, when I turned it on, they were, they were talking about God, right? And I'm going to paraphrase here what Oprah said. This is a paraphrase, it was two years ago, but this is definitely the, the gist that she was getting at. She said this, I was reading the Bible, and I read that God was jealous of me. Now, if God created me and was all-powerful, but he was jealous of me in my life, then I thought that was pretty weak. I couldn't worship a God that was jealous of me. But when I look at the Bible, Exodus 34, 14 says this, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And then that passage goes on to talk about how we should have no idols in our lives, how we should put no other gods before the God of the universe, right? And to me, that seems like a command, right? It's not that God is jealous of me. No, he created me. God is jealous for me. That he created me, that he loves me, and when his love and his holiness fit together perfectly, Two things happen. We hear his command to love him back, but we also hear God wants me. If God is jealous for me, God wants me. We've all got those people in our lives who uh, are a friend of mine recently called them EGRs, extra grace required people, right? I know, you may be sitting next to them. Don't look, don't look at them, all right? You may be sitting next to one right now. But there are the people who just, they feel, they just, every, they, everything that pervades from them says that the world owes me something, right? The world owes me something. I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago who needed financial help and some guidance, and I asked him, so what are you doing to find a job, right? And this is what he said, I will never, I will never work for a boss, Someone telling me what to do all the time. No, I want to make money on my terms. When is the world ever going to do something for me, right? I, so at that point, I, I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to help you. I'll drive you to, I'll get you some applications, you know. We can either live this life in selfishness. I know this sounds cliche. You hear, don't be selfish, be selfless, right? But we really do have a choice, even believers We can either live this life in selfishness or we can humble ourselves enough to know that we need God, right? That we were created for God, by God, and we can consider other people more important than ourselves and know that I exist. I exist for God. Everybody who's married in the room will understand this. And if you're not married in the room, okay, This applies to you as well. But there's two times that I have understood and realized my selfishness the most in my life. One was when I got, what is it? Married, right? And two was when I had kids, right? When I got married, I realized I'm pretty low dude. I'm pretty selfish. You know, I mean, it's hard. It is hard. When I had kids, that got even worse. It's like, not only now do I have to serve my wife, I got to serve my kids. This is just as hard, right? In relationships, when God thinks about us, I think the best relationship to depict that on earth is a perfect father. I know there's some people in the room that did not have perfect fathers, right? But God... The Father is the perfect Father. Everything that lacks in our fathers here on earth is perfect in God. So when God thinks of me, it's like a father to a son. But when I think of God and when I commit to God, it's got to be like a marriage relationship. I think marriage is the best relationship we have to mirror our relationship to Jesus, okay? Except in my relationship with Jesus, one of the spouses is perfect, right? In my relationship with my wife, neither of us are perfect, right? She tells me I'm perfect once in a while, but I say, no, I'm not. 
I'm just because she's a lot. I love my wife. Last week I was talking to a friend and he was having um, a spat with his wife, right? He, um, he really wanted to go out with his buddies that night. And his wife said to him, Bro, you really? You're going to leave me here with the kids tonight? Like, I've been with the kids all day. You're going to leave me here with the kids tonight, right? And he was like, and he, so we were talking out, outside later on that night. And he was like, dude, do you get this? Like, I never do this. Right? I never do this. Why, why can't she just let me do this once in a while? And I was like, I get it. I get that. Right? You want to go out. It's a thing that's special for you. But, so I asked him this question. I said, all right, dude. For you and your marriage to succeed, is it that you give 50% and she gives 50% to equal 100 and that's how it has to be? Right? And he said to me, he was like, yeah. It has to be that way. It's got to be. I said, no, you give 100%, she gives 100%. And then all the time, you have two people trying to live together in a loving, give-and-take relationship where you're giving 100% and she's giving 100%. And so when you're giving 100%, it doesn't really matter if she's giving 50%, 75%, 20%, whatever you would call it, right? Because you're giving 100%. Both of you give 100%. I was talking to an engaged, engaged couple last week, getting ready for their wedding. And we were talking about this. Here's the deal. We can live for something more, or we can live for ourselves. When it comes to me and my spouse, right, in our arguments, in my selfishness, in her selfishness, am I giving 100%? Am I giving 50%? Is this fair, Right? Is this, is my relationship with my wife, is this fair? My kids, this is crazy. I was, I was, I have a line, right, that my kids often come fairly close to. And um, one particular day, my oldest son, the line was here and he was pushing it, right? He was pushing it. I was like, Lord, give me some strength. (laughs) Give me some strength. And then boom, he crossed it. And so what did I do? I blew a top at him. Man, I blew up at my son. Like, and he was like fearing for his life. I just blew up at him. I was so pressed, I just blew up at him. I yelled at him, and this is what he said to me. Dad, just like this. Dad, every time you yell at me like that, it just makes me not want to obey you even more. I was like, oh no. Oh man. My job. How I treat my coworkers, how I deal with disagreement, how I deal with conflict, my neighbors, the way that they live, the way that they look at the way that I live, right? Opportunities I take or I don't take in all areas of my life. And here's a big one for me, listening to or not listening to the Holy Spirit, right? I think that sometimes I, I ask myself the question, is God telling me to do this? And it would be like, is God telling me to tell that person about Jesus? I can tell you, if you're asking yourself, is God telling me to tell that person about Jesus, you don't need to pray about that. The answer is yes, right? But often we say, is God telling me to do this? And then we start making excuses. No, he's not telling me to do this. If he was, this would be a sign, if he, all that stuff, right? So what's the key? Like in every area of my life, sometimes it feels helpless. Sometimes I feel like... I'm just defeated here. But what is the key to living well in every single situation in life, right? How should we think? What do we need to know in order to live well, all right? Here's the one point. Here is my one point for the morning. If you remember anything this morning, remember this, okay? If you forget everything else, I pray that it leads you to remember this. So right now, you should all be getting out something to write with. Get out your cell phone, text it to your spouse, text it to yourself, put it in the notes, but I'm going to quiz whoever I run into after this, all right? This is all you need to know, right here. Living for the glory of God, living for the glory of God, always produces 
the glory of God. You got that? Let's say it together. One, two, three, go. Living for the glory of God always produces the glory of God. But you ask me, well, why should I live for God's glory? Isn't living for myself, isn't that more fulfilling on a situational basis? Isn't doing the selfish thing going to bring me more pleasure in the moment? Sometimes, maybe, yeah. But in the long, long run, no. If you're still not convinced, turn to Genesis 1. We're going to be in verse 26. Living for the glory of God always produces the glory of God. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and, every, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree and every seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So let's go through that. Let's look at it, okay? First of all, it starts off God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Who is us? Okay? In the Hebrew there, it, 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 it's uh, implying two things. Us implies plurality. It also implies the vastness and the majesty of God in creation. Us also implies that the Trinity was present. What's the Trinity? Don't think too hard about it because your head will explode. Right? I've, I mean, I've studied the Trinity and my head hurts when I try to fathom it. Here's a little bit about it. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that, ha that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We've got the Father, God the Father, who spoke spoke into existence in six days everything that exists. The power of his voice created. That's a powerful God. And then we read this verse and it says the word was with God in the beginning. The word was Jesus. He was with God at creation and took part with God his Father in creating everything that has been created. And then as we learned last week from Kyle, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Right? So you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All equally God, but three different persons in the same entity, God. Love that. And then he says, after our likeness, in our image, after our likeness. Get this, okay? I don't know if there's going to be animals in heaven, right? I know that the new heaven, new earth, heaven's going to descend down to earth and it's going to be an amazing thing, right? I don't know if there's going to be animals there. I guess, maybe, yeah, there could be. But here's the deal. Humanity was the only 
part of God's creation created for feeling. Right? We were created in the image of God to mirror God, to have feelings, to be in relationship. Before even time began, God was in relationship with himself. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God was in relationship with the Trinity. And he designed us to mirror that, to need relationship, to be in relationship with other people. Okay? In a perfect way, God knows emotions. Right? The Bible talks about righteous anger. Right? It says, be angry and do not sin. So that's possible. Okay? God feels sadness towards his creation sometimes. He feels anger towards his creation sometimes. He feels immense love towards his creation sometimes. And we feel all those things also. Right? We were designed for this. Our heart is the seat of our emotion. That's what we say, right? Although sometimes my stomach is the seat of my emotion. My wife knows that's right for me. Here's the deal. God did not create you and I because he needed us. He didn't need our assistance in anything. He didn't create us because he needed us. Here's why he created us. Because he wanted us. He wanted a part of his creation to be in relationship with. We were created by God for God. Psalm 106, 8 Yet he saved them for his name's sake that, he might, that he, he might make known his mighty power. If we look at the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11, right? We find out that Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick. And then he on purpose waits to go see him. Right? His disciples were like, wait, 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 wait. We just found out he's sick. We, we need to go. Like, we need to go now. Jesus waits two full days before he goes to see him. When he gets there, he's dead. He's dead, dead. He's like been dead for four days by the time he gets there, by the time Jesus gets there. And then he tells his disciples, he says, I'm glad that we weren't there. Right? Jesus. What? You're glad that he died? Yes. I'm glad that we weren't there for your sake so that the power of God could be seen in me in raising Lazarus from the dead, right? In John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished what you gave me to do. So even Jesus lived his life to glorify God the Father. And then the Bible also says that he works everything to, 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 for the good he works everything together for the good of those who love him, right? But in God's workings in my life, even for the good of those who love him, it is all meant to circle back to giving him glory. Living for the glory of God always produces the glory of of God. And then this passage goes on to talk about the fact that God gives dominion to man. When I say man, that's everyone. Man and woman. Remember, he created them in, in, him, in his image, in his likeness. Male and female, he created them. He gave humanity dominion over everything that he had created. Even in our work, in our everyday activity, right? We were meant to, we were created to work for God. The only reason that you exist is to work for the purposes of God. So much so that he put man, humanity, over to have dominion over everything that he had created. And you may be thinking at this point, well this is pretty arrogant of God, right? I've thought that sometimes, honestly. I've thought, why? Okay. Like, when I watched Oprah that day, I was like, he's jealous for me. Like, he's jealous for me. He commands me to love him. I remember, I remember back, and Mike still does these question and answer times with the youth group. I remember back when we did those in youth group. And the um, question a lot was like, well, why do we have a choice? Like, why do we have a choice? whether to be saved or not, right? And here's the deal. God, all-powerful creator of the universe, 
who spoke and things were in existence. I mean, let there be light. Boom! The sun was not even there yet. I mean, like, what is that? Let there be light. It was there. Right? He spoke into existence the universe. And yet, in Adam and Eve's sin, he immediately clothed, clothed them. He provided for them right away. And ultimately, he provided his son to bring humanity back into relationship with him. Why? Because he loves us, but because he also wants his creation to be right with him. Why? Because every single one of us was created for God's pleasure. Do we get that? That's not arrogant of God. That is what he deserves. Right? And then he says to man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Essentially, I want you to make more people to do the same thing you're doing. To give me glory. To be in relationship with me. The Bible says that God's desire for us is that we raise godly offspring. That was his plan from the beginning. That everyone born would be raised as godly offspring. Sin taints that, right? But in Jesus there's healing and he brings everything back into rightness with God again for God's glory, right? All are created by God for God. Even in our rest, <laughs> I love this. What does this say? So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is not a call, and I think we, we abuse this way too often. This is not a call to have a day off of work and sit on the couch and watch TV and be lazy. Right? A lot, too many people use that. Right? God rested from his work, so I'm going to do the same thing. Where's the remote? Right? Although those things are good form of rest sometimes. We all like doing it. Like during football season, every, a lot of guys in the room, I, don't, I really don't care. Just let it be known. I don't care about football. I, don't, I'm, I just don't care. I'd still like to sit on the couch on a Sunday afternoon and watch it. Right? Because it's restful. So those things aren't bad, but that's not what he's calling us to. Exodus 20, 8 through 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Isaiah 40, 28 says, He is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. So why did he rest? He didn't rest because he was tired. Right? He didn't rest because he needed to get rejuvenated to do something else. No, what, what is the day of rest for? It is so that God's creation, us, would take time enough to step back from the craziness of life. Right? We all know every person's sustainability is different in the room. Some people can go for a lot longer in insanity than others, right? Me personally, I need frequent rest. Because I just can't, my brain doesn't handle this type of stuff. What he's calling us to is in the craziness of your life, slow down enough to step back and look at what God has done. Why? Because I was created to bring him glory. And if I can't see what he's doing, if I'm so caught up in what my life is, that I can't concentrate enough for 15 minutes to read God's word and let it stick, I gotta rest. I gotta stop. Somehow, I've got to do this. Do we see this? If, if we were created 
to bring God glory. That is our main purpose. Whether you believe that or not, whether you're a believer or not, it's true. You were made by God to bring him glory for his pleasure. If that's true, then living for the glory of God always produces the glory of God. Even this morning, you don't know this, and he's going to hate me for saying this. But every time Tim strums his guitar this morning, he is in excruciating pain. Because his elbow, for the last weeks, months, however long it's been, he's had issues. He wasn't allowed to play the guitar all week this week. His doctor told him, don't play the guitar. Right? And so he didn't. He's iced it. He comes up here and he's playing the guitar. Right? And it's hurting like crazy and he's getting discouraged by it. Right? And we've been praying. Like, we prayed for Tim multiple times this morning that his elbow would be healed. It wasn't. So where do we go from there? If our purpose is to bring glory to God, then Kent, Tim gets to stand up here thinking, all right, with my hurt elbow, I can either bowl through this, which he's done so far for the glory of God, because he wants people to be led to the throne room of Jesus to worship. Or, for God's sake, I, I can stop. I don't have to play the guitar for people to worship, right? God does not need me. But in these moments of weakness, it allows me to be able to say to God, God, I was created for your glory, so be strong in my weakness and do what I can't do, right? This is an opportunity for our worship leader to not worry about the guitar, but enter into worship so that everyone else can worship as well, right? See, God does what he does for a reason. I love it. Now, you may be thinking, okay, this is good and all. I'm convinced that I was created to bring God glory. But what in the world does that look like on a day-to-day basis? How do I do that? you got to tell me how I do that. Well, here's where it starts. John 1.14 says, And the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Tim, you guys in the band can come back up. But we got to start here. That Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the perfect glory of God on earth. Right? John 17 He says he gives glory to God by accomplishing what Jesus, what God the Father had sent him to do. What defined the glory of God in Jesus' life? Well, he knew the need to live for the glory of his Father. He knew what he existed for, right? This is where it gets personal. That in Jesus' death on the cross... What he accomplished, remember that message, it is finished, what he accomplished on the cross for us. What he accomplished in our salvation is the epitome of the glory of God on earth. You get that? You being saved for eternity from your sins is the epitome of the glory of God on earth. Because now all of humanity, once again, has to realize in order for me to be saved, in order for my eternal life to be secure, I need God, right? So when humanity comes to a complete understanding of their deep, deep, deep need for God, for salvation, God receives glory. And that's what God built us for and so when we come to the table and these we just we have symbols here but it was gracious of Jesus to give us symbols he says as often as you do this the broken bread 
his body for us, and the juice, his blood in the new covenant for us. He's saying, as often as you do this, remember me. And in remembering me, remember your need for me. Remember that you can't save yourself. Remember that you need God. And so as we take, there's two stations up here, there's one in the back. And as we worship together and we take the bread and the juice, as you take it, think about that. That Jesus died, not only because he loves you, but so that you could come back to a place to give God glory, right? Because... If I was created by God for God, then the best possible existence that I could ever have is to bring God glory with my life, but that's impossible. The Bible says that eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God will be glorified in everyone's life. But as I live on earth in an unforgiven place, or if I don't take time long enough to remember what Jesus did for me, it's impossible for me to bring glory to God, right? So that's what we're remembering now, is that I was created to bring glory to God, and because Jesus died for me, now I can, right? God, we thank you that you provided your son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can bring the most glory to you in this life. So we just wanna remember Jesus now. We wanna say thank you, Jesus, for bringing me back into rightness with God Almighty so that I can live out my created purpose to glorify God in everything that I do. We love you and we need you, in Jesus' name. say that, right? We can say it is well, no matter what's going on, no matter if my world seems to be falling apart, if things are good. Because Jesus died, through it all, I can say it is well. It is well with my soul, right? I want you to, if you, if you got a bulletin, I want you to pick it up and uh, look inside and there's a sheet of paper. If you did not get a bulletin, you won't have this sheet of paper and you need it. Um, so if you don't have it, y'all can sit down for a moment, okay? But if you don't have it, raise your hand, okay? Because you need this. So raise your hand if you, don't, if you didn't get a bulletin. Raise it high, keep it up until you're given one. Kim's gonna come around and, and give you one, okay? Living for the glory of God always produces the glory of God. Here's your challenge for this week. What in the world does that look like in my everyday life? Think of this. When I yelled at Judah, I went to a place that as a father I shouldn't have. The Bible says fathers do not provoke your children to anger, right? And so I know that I provoked him to anger. But in that moment, in the moment before I went to that place. If I had asked myself, what response in this moment would bring the most glory to God, right? Then my response would have been different. Then his response to me would have been different. And then my son would have learned something. I would have learned something. And a situation would have been diffused, right? Except, that wasn't my response. My response, I yelled at him and it got worse, right? This is what it looks like. So this week, this is what I want us to do. In any situation, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my relationship with my coworkers, with my family, immediate or extended confrontation, work, neighbors, anything, 
Okay? I want you to take this sheet and I want you to physically be aware of the situations that come your way this week and write them down. There's only four spots on there to write things down, but you can use the back. You can use another piece of paper. I'd need like three pieces of paper, right? But what I want you to do is I know it's not that easy in the middle, in the heat of a moment when you want to say what you want to say, you want to do what you want to do, and you're not necessarily led by the Spirit, it's hard to think, what should I do to give God the most glory in this situation? It's hard to do. But I want you to take time this week, and in any good situation, write it down. In any bad situation that ended wrongly or that just went awry, write it down. Write down your situations, and then at the end of the week, you get to go back and look at this list and say, how could I have acted differently, right? How could I have asked in that situation, right now, what should I do to bring the most glory to God? And if we do that, right, I tried it this week. It's hard, right? Even when I asked that question sometimes, I was like, what should I do to bring the most glory to God? And oftentimes the answer was not the thing I wanted to do. Because the thing I wanted to do was fleshly. The thing I wanted to do I thought would feel better in the moment, right? But like with my son, it didn't work out. So if I can ask that question, then that statement stands true. Living for the glory of God always produces the glory of God. So that's what I want you to do this week. Okay, I want you to take this seriously. Like write these things down and go back, talk about it with somebody and say, here's how I could have acted differently in these situations. Okay? Because I want to give glory to God with my life. Mm-hmm.